0: I think overall the survey responses are indicative of utilities starting to embrace the changing world and stepping up to the challenges that are associated with energy transition. But we do find that there's a number of challenges which are still in place and and need to be overcome if we're going to be successful in that transition.
1: Welcome to The Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of Electricity Canada. This is episode 081, number 81 of The Flux Capacitor. This episode was recorded in early September 2023 on Zoom. My guests today are...
0: Andrew and Rozelle. I'm a partner with Guidehouse and I lead our Canadian power and utilities
2: team. And I'm Michelle Fay. I'm also a partner with Guidehouse, leading our global solutions team for our energy sustainability and infrastructure segment.
1: Andrea and Michelle joined me for a conversation about the current state and future of the electricity sector. Drawing from Guidehouse's 2023 State and Future of the Power Industry, we dig into issues from aging infrastructure to extreme weather, from the energy transition to investment priorities. Through interviews with utility leaders and Guidehouse's energy, sustainability and infrastructure experts, as well as an eight-question survey of industry stakeholders, the state and future of the power industry examines what's next for energy companies as they navigate upgrading aging infrastructure, ongoing supply chain bottlenecks, increasing storm intensity, and new environmental, social, and corporate governance mandates. And for book recommendations, Both my guests have great additions to the Flux Capacitor Book Club. Here is my conversation with Michelle and Andrea. Welcome to the podcast. I'm glad that both of you were able to join us. It's usually a one-on-one, so uh, there'll be three of us on the podcast this time. Uh, So I'll try and direct traffic as best I can. But looking forward to the conversation. So maybe start off with just a general question about uh, about GuideHouse. Uh, And I've had people from GuideHouse on the podcast previously. But for the listener, it's been a number of years. So maybe just a little bit of a refresher. So how about this? So when I look at... Uh, the uh, industries that Guidehouse is working uh, in, it really runs uh, the gamut, right? From, from defense and security to energy, sustainability and infrastructure to health, to financial services, to state and local governments. So um, what is uh, the, the principle that connects all of these disparate areas? What connects the dots for, uh, for Guidehouse in all, uh, all these different areas?
0: Sure. Um, So GuideHouse is really purpose-built to help clients meet complex challenges, and that's across sectors, industries, and geographies. And we do that with an integrated model that breaks down silos between commercial and public sectors, and that helps us maximize efficiency. Mm -hmm. It means that our teams are really united by a shared commitment to purposeful impact. When we look at those clients that we're serving, yeah. they are clients that are in some of the sectors, industries, and geographies, which are undergoing the most significant and rapid change. Mm-hmm. And as a result, they're clients that are faced with some of the most significant complexities. If we look specifically at the energy sustainability and infrastructure team that Michelle and I are supporting, mm-hmm. that's no exception. A lot of our work has been focused on issues related to the energy transition, which I know Francis is near and dear to a lot of the, the topics that the uh yeah that the sector we're working on is looking at and yep. it's likely one of the most complex challenges we've faced as humanity.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then I mean Guidehouse itself you're the Canadian lead in this space. Uh the company presumably is uh in uh not in uh, solely in a number of different uh, industries where where uh it focuses but uh, also geographically dispersed, isn't it?
0: That's right. Yep. So we are a global firm. Um, the energy sustainability and infrastructure team is focused across North America as well as in Europe and the Middle East. Okay.
1: Prime. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So, so uh, I know there's a, a an annual uh, survey that's done. So maybe tell us a little bit about that. The the uh, the annual pulse of power survey. So how did it come about, uh, and how does it work? And then after that, maybe we can talk about uh, what yeah, what the latest uh, survey is telling us. So, what was the genesis of this project, and and um, and and where is it heading?
2: Yeah, I think this is actually our ninth um, ninth version of the survey. It's the ninth year that we've done this, and we've been partnering with power and utilities fortnightly. Um, to develop this since the very beginning of that of that time, and our goal um, initially and and actually even now is to really look at the macro trends um, and issues that the industry is facing. So um, it, we were really interested in seeing uh, what those most pressing needs were and really what the priorities were for our clients. Mm-hmm. Um, so we issue this survey annually, and it's really a great way to see how those priorities are shifting. Um, from year to year and where there are any new or emerging needs that we should really be thinking about. And it was initially focused on, I'll say, disruption within the industry. So specifically around technologies, um, distributed energy resources, electric vehicles, et cetera, Mm -hmm. um, and emerging um, business models that, that we were starting to see. And it's adapted in some of the more recent years to be less focused on technologies and really more focused on those broader industry trends. Um, And while we always lead with this survey um, to get input from the industry, um, we really take a look at that and compare it to the research that our our insights, our Guidehouse Insights research team has been doing um, to see where we're seeing any gaps or or new trends. And um, our colleagues also take this um, as an opportunity, our Power Utility Fortnightly colleagues take this as an opportunity to interview um, some of their. Some of the industry stakeholders and mm-hmm. really ask them some questions as well, and then it culminates with a report that we publish um, along with Power Utility Fortnightly called "The State and Future of the Energy Industry" or Power Industry, yeah. uh, where we have utility leaders and our Guidehouse experts really take a look at what's next for utility companies as they start to navigate, um, you know, through this upgrading of their aging infrastructure, the ongoing supply chain issues they're mm-hmm. having. Um, climate change issues, et cetera. So it's been a great way to connect the work that we're doing um, to the industry trends and help us better understand the needs of our clients and where we should be focusing on the development of any new solutions for our clients.
1: Right. Awesome. Th- thanks for that, Michelle. But I mean, this was a an unusual time this year, right? To be uh, to be out surveying. Um, it happened during a year of. Some pretty significant uh, announced investments, uh, expected growth in infrastructure, thanks to the Inflation Reduction Act in the United States. A pretty significant uh, uh, commitment by the government of Canada, and, uh, and 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 I know commitments elsewhere. Given that uh, that uh, you know your your colleagues are uh, in, involved uh, around the globe. So so given the unusual times that we're in. Uh, right now. Um, Were there any big surprises uh, in this year's survey?
0: I think overall, the survey responses are indicative of utilities starting to embrace the changing world and stepping up to the challenges that are associated with energy transition. Uh, But we do find that there's a number of challenges which are still in place and, and need to be overcome if we're going to be successful in that transition. The one thing I think I found most surprising is that Aging infrastructure was cited more commonly as the most disruptive threat rather okay. than climate change and destructive climate-related disasters. I think, you know, aging infrastructure can be tied to the challenges with resiliency and with reliability, especially in a future where we have more climate-related events. Yeah. Um, but the broader climate change and destructive climate-related disaster is really the main driver for the accelerated energy transition. And that underpins many, if not a lot of all of the challenges that we're faced um, with as a sector. And I don't know, Michelle, if you had other thoughts around, you know, what, where you were surprised.
2: Yeah, I was going to say I was surprised to see the mixed reactions about um, the Inflation Reduction Act um, specifically. So there were a number of um, of people that indicated that um, they thought that this would be remembered as a dramatic acceleration of TD upgrades. Um, and really an impetus behind um, the transportation electrification and charging infrastructure being rolled out. But if you you also looked at some of the other responses, we had about, I think it was 58% um, of people said that they're keeping an eye out for opportunities, but there's confusion around where those best opportunities are. And I think that mixed review was what really surprised me. And I think (laughs) it gets to the concern um, I see around how this gets rolled out. So I think The end game is clear, but how we're going to get from this legislation to execution of that is still um, is still a question.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's a a common concern that I've heard in other other jurisdictions with uh, you know with with other plants as well, including here in Canada. Um, can I just pull on a thread though? Something that Andrea that that you mentioned in terms of uh, the surprise. It, it may sound a little bit counterintuitive, given that like we're recording this at the uh, you know at the end of uh, end of summer 2023, and it was the the hottest summer on record, and uh, you know destructive uh, weather, uh, uh, the worst wildfire fires in Canada than, than we've ever seen. But um, the, the survey didn't take place in kind of July and August of this year, right? right? This snapshot was a little bit earlier in the
2: year. Right. It was a little bit before the summer happened. I want to say we did it in the spring, yeah. um, maybe April time frame.
1: Okay so yeah that 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 kind of gets you past what would what would otherwise have been kind of a bit of a counterintuitive thing given the summer the summer that we've been exactly the summer that we've been uh living through so uh maybe uh follow up on on uh, you know some of the survey results and conclusions so the very first question you ask uh, in this year's survey was um Which is the most disruptive threat to business as usual in the communities in which you operate? So I gather uh, this was the first time you ever asked this question. So uh, what did you learn from the answers on, on that one specifically?
0: I think I shared some of my thoughts on what we learned about it previously, but just to yeah. elaborate, I think yeah. climate change and the broader energy transition really underpins a number of the threats that we're faced with as a sector. Um, and I think that through the question, we found that disaggregating those threats into more discrete options may provide us with more insights into the challenges, the specific challenges that we need to overcome as a sector. The energy sector is underpinning the entire economy, and I think it's key. Uh, that we have a successful transition of the energy sector while maintaining the traditional mandates of safety, reliability, and affordability. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that really getting a sense, as Michelle was saying, of what is it that we need to do um, is going to be key if we're going to be successful in that transition. I don't know, Michelle, if you wanted to layer in any of your thoughts on what we learned from that question, given it was the first time we asked it.
2: Yeah, it's funny when we were developing the questions we really wanted to take this year as an opportunity to look at look broader than just the utility operations because. We know that um, we've always asked that question in the context of a utilities business, but mm-hmm. we wanted to really take a look at the the communities and the and the customers and the citizens that are mm-hmm. impacted by these threats, because at the end of the day, it's the customers of the utility and the communities that they serve that are really impacted when there's a disaster or a reliability concern. So, mm-hmm. um, for example, when there's a wildfire, you know, we often find that the aging infrastructure can't respond or adapt. Um, and leave people without power for extended periods of time, which impacts air quality and just general quality of life um, of the individuals within the within the communities that are impacted. So we really wanted to take a take a broader look beyond just the utility um in terms of how these how these threats are impacting um, impacting impacting customers.
1: yeah so so did the the question uh, and uh, the, the 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 interest in Framing the question uh, about impacts on communities, is that a, a reflection of sort of, of of a change that you've seen in terms of how the industry is seeing itself relative to communities?
2: I think the I think the change that we're seeing is that we've realized that there it's not just the utility's responsibility, mm. um, and and it, they can't change it on their own. It's going to take it's going to take collaboration with representatives from the community, with their state and local agencies, with the federal lawmakers, the local lawmakers, in order to really make that change um, happen and sustain it. So we wanted to see, you know, what that what that correlation was and, mm-hmm. and whether or not um, others were seeing that same thing that we've been seeing as we're talking to our clients um, across GuideHouse.
1: Yeah, yeah. Hey, one of the questions I ask uh, folks that come on the podcast is about their journey you know how they kind of arrived uh in in the role uh that uh, that they're in uh so uh, I'm, I know the, the this is something I've, I've heard from uh, from the listener on a number of occasions that, uh, you know, uh, where do these folks come from uh, that get to do such, uh, you know, cool and interesting <laughs> stuff? So um, maybe let's start with you, uh, Andrew. What was your journey? Is this, you know, I always make the joke when you were a, a kid in the playground, is this, this what you dreamed of doing? <laughs> it's
0: definitely not. It's a perfect time to ask me that it's the first week back to school and my kids were, you know, have. <laughs> that little sheet <laughs> of what I want to be when I grow up and uh-huh. both of my daughters have on their teacher and I said like yeah that's what I had on there when I was your age too but, like, <laughs> change your mind um, yeah. but maybe I still am helping teach people but yeah. uh, just in a professional advisory services for that forum um uh-huh. No, but seriously, I, I've been in the sector for just over 15 years now. And when I entered it, everything that I was doing was like this emerging technology. It was mm-hmm. this very unknown and new area and felt like we were never going to get there. And it's been one of the most exciting times to be part of the sector. I'm very grateful that I entered when I did. Um, I've been you know, privy to being part of the journey with many of our clients in terms of moving from that stage of, okay, this is an emerging technology to now we're implementing something that is transforming the entire sector. Uh, the reality, is, I mentioned earlier, is that I think we really have realized now that these, that these challenges are real and that we have solutions to deal with them. And we're moving past that stage of what can we do and into the stage of how do we do it, as Michelle was mentioning earlier. So my journey has been always this, essentially, um, a little bit of background in engineering from a um, Consulting perspective as well, but really right. focused from the perspective of emerging and now into actually executing change for many of our clients.
1: Gotcha, Michelle. How about you? What was your uh, what was your journey?
2: So I ended up in this industry by accident.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I
2: started uh, started as an accountant doing uh, work in financial services and did that for a couple of years, um, but knew that I wanted to tackle. Complex problems, as we like to call them, and that's really what motivates me. And started working in the industry. I hate to say it's been 25 years now, but mm-hmm. it's been about 25 years. And um, at the time, deregulation was the the hot topic, and um, you know that was that was seen as the biggest um, biggest change in the industry. So got involved in the industry, trying to figure out how to help our our utility clients through this deregulation um, wave. And have just stayed with it ever since I find, um, you know, there's these are some of the biggest problems that we're seeing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in in humanity, really, um, and trying to figure out how we're going to transition, um, you know, make this transition and make yep. it make it not just not just because it's needed from a from a technology standpoint or from an infrastructure standpoint, but doing it in such a way that benefits you know future generations, I think is really is really exciting um, exciting work to me. So it's been um, it's been fun seeing how this industry has evolved over the last 25 years, and I joke with my friends that I started working with um in this industry 25 years ago I said who knew this would be the cool space to work where all the kids coming out of college want to do mm-hmm. this work now
1: absolutely yeah yeah no it, it, that, that's a really good point you know today the the expectation is that that the low carbon future is going to be uh enabled uh, through uh you know greater electrification and 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 uh it suddenly makes uh the electricity space uh, a, a very interesting place to be um that's certainly what I I've been hearing over the last 81 podcasts that I've been putting together, uh, you know, in this space. But uh, let me come back to the, to the the, uh, the survey work that you've done because there's man, there's a lot of material uh, in there. And let's, uh, let's drill down on, on this one particular area that, uh, that uh, piqued my interest. So you, you note in the summary of the results that, uh, and I quote, indeed the restrictive environment in which North American utilities operate in is seen as the industry's biggest hurdle in terms of meeting its goals and investing more aggressively in the energy transition. 53% of respondents cited regulatory changes as the biggest hurdle, end quote. Now, this is something that's going to be very familiar to the listeners of the podcast uh, and to us here at Electricity Canada. But so based upon responses um, and uh, the conversations uh, that have been had around this, what do you think is is the way forward um, with with regulators and with regulation? Because that's kind of kind of two sides to it, right? Yeah, Andrea, yeah. did you wanna?
0: Sure. I I think um, this is really one of the biggest challenges, and I think it's a an, an issue of pace, really. Um, But to begin with, I think regulators should have clear mandates to regulate around a net zero future. So in some jurisdictions, we're starting to see that put in place. And and when it is, it provides greater clarity for utilities, and it sets a stage for them to be able to plan for and invest in the initiatives which are required to decarbonize the energy sector. As we spoke about earlier, that sector underpins the entire economy. Um, And as a result, a lot of the costs for the transition are naturally going to fall to utilities. So the current policy and regulatory environment needs to be adjusted to account for this and enable those investments that are required. Utilities then have to move to align and optimize their planning around that net zero future. So Mm -hmm. what is that path to net zero? How do we align our planning with that path? Um, but to do that, we have to have coordinated energy system planning. So I think Michelle alluded to that a little bit earlier. It's energy system-wide, long-term planning. We have to look across geographies and across the entire energy system to make sure that we understand what investments are required and that mm-hmm. that's incorporated into the planning. I think really when we look at regulators, the challenge isn't about understanding what they need to change in their frameworks, but rather how to do so in a time frame that supports ensuring that the energy The investments that are required for that energy transition are going to be made in the most prudent fashion possible. So utilities, we know, and this is, I think, one of the biggest challenges that we're seeing right now. And I, I've seen it with a number of clients. They need to continue to invest in assets today, mm-hmm. but if we're not careful, those assets may become stranded if they're not required in the longer term. Right. So we have to think carefully about how we do that integrated energy planning and look at making those investments in a way that is prudent, aligned with the the transition more broadly across the sector.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And c- clearly, I mean, we can't. You know, we 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 can't identify uh, any jurisdiction that, that's nailed this perfectly. But are, are there some jurisdictions that, that we should be maybe trying to take some cues from some some that have gotten a little bit better at um, you know not 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 uh, uh, what but but how uh, regulation is done.
2: Yeah, I think I think there are several examples um, in the U.S. of some states where we've seen we've seen some changes to the way that their their um, regulations are working. And I think, you know, we've seen cases where you know the the change is happening so fast, um, we can't spend three years developing a, a plan and expect that 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 plan will be intact exactly the way that it is three years from now. So. Mm what we've seen happening is that um, we're changing the regulatory paradigm, right? So there are states that have adopted a performance-based rate-making Um, approach. And that's really an example of of how we can address this. So allowing utilities to earn based on the value that they provide really changes the whole dynamic. So when you combine that performance-based rate making um, with these multi-year rate plans and the performance incentive mechanisms, um, that helps to align the utility incentives to those broader Policy objectives, and it really allows them to adapt more quickly. Um, you know, as the as these changes are happening.
1: Yeah. Okay. So alignment. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, you know, one of the more um, interesting uh, survey answers was uh, the answer to. Uh, how can utilities best direct investments to improve the quality of life of the communities they operate? The, you know the answers were uh, supporting the development uh, of emergency and backup power solutions for critical infrastructure, electrifying building and transportation, and uh, digitalizing assets and infrastructure. So these three options came as close to a statistical tie as as humanly possible. Uh, is that a problem that there is? is no clear consensus on how investments should be made that there that, that that it seems to be divided in 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 at a minimum at least in these three areas
0: I don't think it's a problem so much as an additional challenge that utilities are faced with. I think the reality is, and the reason that you see that in the responses, is that utilities are likely going to have to make investments in all of those areas in order to improve the quality of life in the communities they operate in. The challenge that they're faced with is developing a framework that Will enable quantification of the benefits that those projects provide and the Mm -hmm. risks that they mitigate to allow for, you know, a a fair comparison of different projects and, and really the timing of the specific investments is likely to vary by jurisdiction and that's a product of geography regulations, potentially DER penetration and other factors which may impact where a utility needs to make investments
1: in the near term. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Okay. So, uh, you know, overall, uh, if you sort of step back and and, and look at everything that you saw in the survey, what do you think is the biggest challenge uh, facing the energy transition?
0: So I think the biggest challenge is is really about pace of change that's required. I think we know what needs to be done. There's technologies and we have a tool set available to support that transition, uh, but the speed that we need to transform the sector at is unprecedented. I think both Michelle and I alluded to that being a part of the reason that we love being in the sector. Yeah. Uh, but it also provides massive complexities. It, I think for successful, it's going to require a close examination of what barriers we have to implementing the technologies and projects that we need to get there mm-hmm. so that we can accelerate that technology development. And, and one of the key things that we consider as a part of that successful transition uh, to net zero or successful energy transition is collaboration. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a global challenge and we're going to have to have all hands on deck to solve it. It requires, as I mentioned earlier, long-term energy system planning, and Mm -hmm. it's going to require shared determination of everybody that's involved in the energy sector.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the biggest challenge from my perspective too. It's that, that level of change that we need to achieve is going to require collaboration well beyond the four walls of the utilities. So the utilities, as I mentioned earlier, need to be collaborating with these other stakeholders, whether it's the state agencies, um, their local municipalities, and we've got to break down those perceived and and real barriers um, to really figure out how we're going to leverage all of those Those different parties, and then all these different funding sources that have become available um, to really maximize the benefits for the customers and and their communities. So I think it's gonna take, you know, it takes a village, it's gonna take that. That national level um, regulation, like we've seen with the IRA and the the Bil here in the United States, mm-hmm. um, local goals and legislation, and then cooperation with with even some external parties like technology companies and large co- large corporations. Um, to be all working in coordination with the utility to make that happen and that's that's just no small feat so that to me is one of the biggest challenges that we face um, because none of these entities can do this on their own
1: yeah so both of you um, you know w- work with uh, people within the sector uh, you spend time with uh, you know senior leadership of electricity companies um, how? ready do you do you think uh the 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 electricity sector is to be able to meet that 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 pace of change challenge that you're talking about um to you know are, are do we need kind of a culture change within the sector or or is, is leadership, um, you know, kind of there in the challenges, the challenges elsewhere? It's other, it's other stakeholders. It's the, certainly the public isn't aware that, of the pace of change that we're facing. But let, maybe if we just start uh, within the sector, is, is the, the sector leadership uh, prepared, uh, really prepared for the kind of uh, and the pace of change that we're, we're going to be facing?
2: I think they're starting to realize it and I'll give you a specific example. Um, I was talking to a utility executive at a conference that I was at a couple of months ago and they were telling me that they're now hiring data scientists, right? Yeah. They're no longer just hiring Um, People with engineering degrees who understand um, electrical engineering, they are hiring data scientists to sit behind their operations team who has that experience to help them run analytics and really react and respond in more real time. So I think there's a recognition, I think, out there that there needs to be a change. And we're starting to see, even in the way that they're developing their workforce, um, how that change is starting to transpire. I don't know if they'll get there quickly enough. I think mm. that that remains to be seen. But um, but we're definitely seeing that that change.
1: Yeah. Any concerns about the the other sort of the other the other um, groups, the other stakeholders that we have to take along uh, in this in this transition? I, I noted the the public. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think the public uh, is uh, is apprised aware uh, of the the massive change that we're going to be facing.
0: And the massive cost,
1: right? I mean, and the mass thank <laughs> you. Yes, good point.
0: <laughs> we did Go- spend a lot of time talking about that, but I think the public isn't aware. And I think yeah. you know the energy sector underpinning that transformation, there has to be a lot of education for customers to understand where the costs are are being um, you know, burdened or why the energy sector is carrying some of those costs if it's if it's part of the transition. I think one of the other big challenges which we didn't cover on this podcast is really alignment across federal and, and provincial in and Canada and, mm-hmm. and you know in the US I'm sure there's similar challenges but across federal and provincial policies yeah. right now we have you know uh, some misalignment or not necessarily misalignment but um, not a direct, line between federal and provincial and I think that prevents the progress for some of our of our clients in terms of not really having a clear guidance what is it what is that transition like and and what am I preparing for am I aligning myself to the provincial or to the federal policies Um, so that's a, a challenge that I think will prevent us maybe from achieving the pace we're hoping to
1: yeah and it's that's that that's one that we've Um, at Electricity Canada. We've been signaling as well. I've I've been expressing concern about the the lack of alignment at different levels of government. Um, uh, Yeah, uh, I I have to agree with you on on that one. Um, I always finish the podcast with a question about um, a book. Uh, We've put together the, uh, the Flux Capacitor podcast, so over, you know, 80, now 81 uh, podcasts, uh, we've put together a reading list uh, that gives us a, a sense of, you know, what people uh, uh, in the, in the sector, leadership in the sector um, uh, either is reading or recommends, uh, and we put it on our, our Flux Capacitor book club list. So I'm going to ask each of you for a recommendation for a book to uh, add to to the shelf back there, uh, to add to our our Flux Capacitor uh, Book Club. So, Michelle, why don't I start with you?
2: I I actually brought my book with me. So it's called Ah. um, Ministry for the Future. And we read this as part of a book club, a summer book club within our team. And it's intended to be a science fiction book, Um, But I have to tell you, it's a little scary how much this relates to the real world, especially after some of the extreme weather conditions we saw this summer. There's actually a chapter in here that talks about some of the flooding that could happen in Los Angeles. And when you see what happened this past year, it was almost as if the book were coming to life. So it's a a great read. Um, Highly, highly recommended. Our team really enjoyed it.
1: Okay. The Ministry for the Future. Gotcha. Great. Okay. Uh and Andrea, what book uh are you gonna put on the book club list?
0: So I have not brought my book with me because I do uh I, I do a lot more audiobooks than I do hard copy now. But um <laughs> I'm gonna add the happiness advantage. So I think you know, we talked about the the um the pleasure that we get by working in a sector that is very complex. But I think yeah. the reality is that uh, this book is all about the power of positivity and what that does from a professional perspective. So if you come to a challenge with a positive mindset, the outcome is much better. And they actually have scientific research that shows that. And it actually has changed the way that I approach a lot of my team and also my clients when I'm engaging with them. And I think that as a sector, you know, we are faced with massive complexities and approaching them with that positive attitude is is likely or hopefully going to be helpful and is actually achieving the outcome we're hoping to uh, work towards together.
1: All right. So we have two, two additions to our book club list, the happiness advantage, which is by Sean Acor, I believe it's pronounced Got it. Uh, and uh, the ministry uh, for the future uh, by Kim Stanley Robinson. So fantastic. Two great additions uh, to the book club list. Thank you very much for that. And uh, really appreciate you taking the time to, to jump on the on the podcast and to, to share the insights uh, from, uh, from the survey with uh, the listener. Thanks very much for, for joining us. Thank
0: you. Thank you.
1: Thanks for joining me for this episode of The Flux Capacitor. Tune in for future episodes, please take the time to rate the podcast on whatever platform you use to listen, and let me know what you think of The Flux Capacitor. You can find me on Twitter, or X, as at Brad Bradley. The website for this pod is thefluxcapacitor.ca, and it includes links for this episode on the show page, this being episode 81. And while you're there, check out the book club page, which provides info and links to the books which have been recommended by guests on the Flux Capacitor, including Michelle's recommendation, The Ministry for the Future by Kim Stanley Robinson, and The Happiness Advantage by Sean Acor, recommended by Andrea. And let's continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca.